I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. You know I've been talking about earned media value for quite some time on this podcast. My friends at Eisenberg have just raised the bar on earned media benchmarks with their social index. Social Index now gives you globally earned media values across a growing list of six geographies for all your KPIs across the top seven social platforms, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Snapchat, TikTok, Twitter, and YouTube. You can now visualize these values for deeper analysis, and they have a look-back window over two years of historical comparisons. Social Index is updated daily. Don't get stuck with old data. Over 1,000 companies have used the social index to understand the ROI of their social campaigns. And if you work with a social agency, you should demand they incorporate earned media values into your reports. Get your earned media value for social content. Visit earnedmediavalues.com slash Allen. Again, that's earnedmediavalues.com slash A-L-A-N. For all of us, it's about predicting where the consumer is going and getting half of it right. One of the things we want to do is create ads that don't suck. Embracing change creates great possibility. I'm Alan Hart, and this is Marketing Today. Today on the show, I've got Molly Aviva Sonnenberg. She is the creative brand manager for Monday.com. We talk about her insatiable need to work uh, as a workaholic, um, how she made her way to monday.com and what it is, how they market and how their company culture kind of bleeds through both the product as well as their marketing and how to market through a successful IPO. This is a topic that I've never actually seen anything written about or any case studies. And we'll talk about how they approached it at monday.com. I hope you enjoy the show. Molly, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I always like to start off with something interesting about each person I interview. And I hear you've been a workaholic since you could actually work at at a young age. (laughs) Tell me more about that. Yeah. So when I turned 16, I got two summer jobs. I spent the mornings working at a bakery in the mall. And I ended up at some points being the youngest, having to be the dancing cookie mascot, (laughs) uh, especially at our ribbon cutting and whenever sales were a little bit slow. And then in the nights and evenings, I worked at an indoor racetrack. So I learned how to race uh, these like intense go-karts that would go 50, 60 miles per hour. 
And sometimes celebrities would show up and sometimes people that would first be at the bakery in the morning uh, would come in and see me working at the front desk of this racetrack. And they're like, haven't I seen you before today already? And since then, I've just always had some sort of job. But I think it's super important to work in retail or hospitality at some point in your life, just because you gain so much insight into how to deal with and work with all types of people from all walks of life. So I loved it. I love that, you know, you had these two extreme jobs, if you will, morning and night. And you're not the first person in marketing that has said that they were like a a mascot of sorts. I don't know what it is about marketers and the wanting to be the dancing cookie or (laughs) what is that? I think it's like living and breathing a brand. Like you are physically the embodiment of, of what you're doing and what you're working in. And I think it's quite the experience to, you know, wear pounds of fur or fake (laughs) chocolate chips at some point. (laughs) You're probably right. You're probably right. Well, how how did you go from racetracks and cookies to monday.com? So after I worked in retail, when I was in college, I started interning. Uh, it was actually part of the degree. You had to do at least two internships. And so I interned at McCann for a summer in New York City. And then I also interned at Fox News and CNBC, both on their finance talk shows and, you know, I've always had a passion for, for advertising and I studied television production, but my senior capstone was ads that actually ran in the middle of other seniors' TV shows. And during university, I studied abroad for a semester in Tel Aviv and I fell in love with the city. And as soon as I graduated, I just, you know, moved out across the world and, you know, at first I was like, oh, okay, I'll take some time. I'll, you know, learn the language. I'll make friends. And after about two weeks, the workaholic in me is like, what are you doing? You need to be working. I was like anxious sitting on the beach, uh, which sounds so spoiled. But I started looking at jobs boards for English speakers. And I came across this company called Monday.com. And they were looking for a video script writer. And I applied and had a bunch of interviews and I was employee somewhere between 130 and 150. And just for reference, so that was three years ago and now we're over 1,000 employees globally. Wow, that's amazing. I mean, that's almost 10x growth in employees. Yeah, we grew very quickly. What was that like? We've grown offices. You know, we started out in a small apartment in Tel Aviv I think I heard it was either one or two bedroom apartment. Uh, We had like people going on calls in like the stairwell just to get space. And then they moved to like an actual legitimate office and then a floor of another building. And now we just moved into a new building in Tel Aviv. We also have, have offices around the world, but our headquarters are in Tel Aviv. And we have like 15 floors of this new building. The growth is amazing. But, you know, when I joined, I knew everyone by name. Everyone knew everybody by name. And now it's just like, who are you? Like, we have to actually introduce ourselves. That's funny. Most people I would imagine that are going to listen to this know what Monday.com is, but can you describe what Monday.com does? So Monday.com is a work OS or a work operating system. And it basically allows teams and organizations of any size in any industry 
to create processes and workflows that they need to manage every aspect of their work. It also allows you to communicate through boards, work docs, automations, integrations, so that way your whole team can stay in sync and you can also have visibility into what other teams in your organization is doing. So you always have this overview and with the automations and integrations, the manual work can happen automatically and you have more time to focus on you know, the work that's actually important. And really we give people visibility and, and confidence through the feeling that, okay, everything my organization is doing is going smoothly. I can see it. I can access it wherever I am. Um, and I always have that overview. And the, what's so great about Monday.com is that it also provides this single source of truth. So if you're looking for information, you don't have to juggle between a million different apps in your phone and conversations. You just, you see it all right there in the platform. And just for like reference, we have companies like Holtcat, uh, which manages their sales and rental inventory of like thousands of tractors to the National Hockey League, the NHL using it for IT management. So you can really build out whatever you want to do. I like the notion of a work OS or operating system. It's how and and where work gets done. Exactly. And a while ago, more like when I joined, we were calling ourselves a project management tool. And we really want, we came out with the notion of a work OS about a year or two ago, just because, you know, we're not just a tool. We're not a cog in the wheel. We are the wheel. And we also, because of our integrations, we unify those tools that you already use. So it's really like the central system of your work. It seems the, you know, we were talking before that the company has a kind of a unique culture of radical transparency and collaboration. And it seems like the product itself is kind of a reflection of the company. Can you tell me more about the culture of the company? Like what it's like to work there? Monday.com was my first full-time job. And also for it being a startup in Israel, I really just didn't know what to expect culture-wise. It's just very different here overall. Like business casual has a whole different meaning. But I think, you know, from the foundation of Monday.com, we were built on this notion that for a very long time in work, in politics, in life, there's the saying, knowledge is power. That the more you know, the more information that you have that someone else doesn't, well, the more secure you are in, in life or your work the more valuable you are, the more valuable your input is. But we, we at Monday.com believe that the opposite is true, that sharing knowledge, first of all, makes you a better leader, but the more shared knowledge that team members have or members of an organization have, the more the organization, the teams can succeed because you, know, you have opportunities to see new angles, to get new ideas. And when that information is shared, there's more solutions that can be created from it. And then on the personal level, well, now that knowledge is in power, well, what we give you is that you have more opportunities to like see where you can make a difference because you have all this information and you can make better decisions. You can bring in different people for different projects that you have, and you can actually see through the platform where you make a difference in, in your work. And it brings the feelings of success and it improves your feeling of satisfaction at your job and actually seeing where you make an impact. So having that transparency, I think it's where people often get afraid of because, you know, they want to hold on to that, that knowledge, but, but the sharing is what powers growth. And 
another way that you can look at transparency through the lens of monday.com is our sales team. So normally sales teams work with commissions. So you make a deal, you get a cut, and that's like your good job. But at monday.com, we don't have commission-based sales structure. And, you know, you cut out that competition. So if there's an email template that a consultant find that's getting better leads, then they'll share it with everyone else because they want the whole department to reach its goals. And, you know, we get more deals that way because if there's one consultant who can speak better about automations and integrations for a specific use case, they get brought on the deal versus like hiding away and holding on to your lead for dear life. So that type of transparency and, and collaboration is just so powerful for us and contributes so much to our success as a company. Um, and that's what we like to give other companies that, that use our platform. It's pretty interesting. And I haven't read the article yet, but there, I was scrolling LinkedIn this morning and a friend of mine shared an Atlantic publication article about how remote work and the way we're working today highlights people that actually get work done versus like management layers or political layers that, that kind of get in the way of, of getting work done. And it seems like Monday.com, both the culture that you guys have and the, and the tools allow work to get done. And like, frankly, flipping it on its head, what many times happens at many workplaces, which is pockets of information get hoarded and, um, and then you have to go justify, you know, to collaboration with other managers of people leaders and, um, and it just slows the whole system down. Yeah. And once you have that visibility and you have that transparency, just everything happens a lot faster and on, on a personal level, it's a lot less complaints of like, oh, this person has this. And then I have to wait for them to finish their meeting to talk to him about this. And, and it just, all of those little like micro pains just disappear because you have the access. You're describing this utopia of work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's, uh, it's possible. It's okay. possible. I love it. This is a unique culture, unique set of tools. Um, how do you, you know, yourself approach marketing and campaign development for a platform like Monday.com? So the transparency that we offer as a platform and also in our company culture also translates to our marketing. And one of our best performing ads that got nominated for a Webby Award starts with, this is an ad for a project management tool called Monday.com. And this was a pre-roll for YouTube. And obviously, you know, you're getting an ad. But just by addressing and like saying, this is an ad and what it's for, like it's very clear and eye level and, you know, makes our, our ads almost more like a discussion. And so we try to, you know, keep that throughout our marketing over the years of being eye level, direct and not over promising. And what I mean by not over promising is that, you know, we're not saying we're going to save you X percent of time, or we're going to increase your uh, success by so-and-so percent, because these are like very abstract things. Like how do you even measure increases in efficiency? I'm sure there's ways and that takes an analyst or two just in terms of understanding those benefits. So instead, you know, our marketing language, we focus on like the pains of the end user, the day-to-day, quarter-to-quarter frustrations. So for managers, it's I want better visibility over what my team is doing without being a micromanager. And for teammates, it translates. I want to know what my teammates are working on. I want to know how I can help. I want to know, you know, who has what workload so they can help me. I want more access to information. And 
by focusing on those end pains, even though we're a business selling a platform to other businesses in a B2B, because we remember that managers are people too, we're really selling to those individual pain points um, because that's going to make someone take an action and sign up for the platform and then realize the greater benefits. And that's how money.com spreads organically within organizations. It's usually one team that finds it or one manager and they start using it and they're like, hey, well, you know, marketing, we deal a lot with legal. Like instead of waiting for legal through emails, let's add them to this workflow. And then legal gets tagged when it's their time to approve things. And they can ask questions directly in context of the project. They can check off approved for one of the columns. And then, hey, well, legal is now done. You know, let's get finance in the loop. And then you can add the invoices, the boards, and it kind of just expands. And each team finds a way to use it. And it grows throughout the, the organization. So again, even by addressing the individual pain points, we're really eventually going to help and improve the the lives of everyone in that organization. And it does sound like you're solving, I mean, you're solving real pain points, right? Like we've all had those frustrations of not knowing what's going on and what's the next step in the process. And I like the fact that you're just calling it out. Like this is straight up. This is an ad. (laughs) Like we're we're interrupting you, but we hope that we're going to help you solve your problem. (laughs) Exactly. And, you know, speaking as a B2C just also gives us a lot more creative freedom, which is which is fun to have and and not always found in in the B2B software industry. No, it's almost like it's where personality goes to die. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. We don't want to be like another faceless corporation. Right. That's funny. Well, the company just had a really successful IPO. Congratulations on that. Thank you. Hopefully that makes more beach days available to you. But what does marketing through an IPO even look like? Like no one talks about it, but obviously there is marketing that's going on to say that we're coming and we're going to be public and all of the excitement around that. What does it look like? How did you even approach something like that? Like you said, there's really nothing. Hiring for your small business. If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Out there on the internet about IPO marketing. And I think there's a fine balance between taking advantage of, of this marketing opportunity, but also making it look to investors and the general public as, oh, this is like business as usual. They don't want to make too big of a, of a deal out of it. And so when my team was given the responsibility for this project, we start out how we always do with research. So we look at other companies that have gone public and we see what their marketing looked like. 
Uh, we also reached out to some of our connections at other companies and spoke with their marketeers and, and see what their approach was. So one of the things that we did was look at the taglines and compare them to the F1 or those S1, the big document, hundreds of pages, and see you know, how they translated that legal businessy talk in those documents to their tagline and how they digested it and formatted it for the, the general public. And we found that it was always some sort of combination of like our value plus how it affects you. For example, Slack is your work is our work. Zoom info is hit your number. Lemonade is forget everything you know about insurance. It's always you, 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 which is which may seem obvious, but I don't I don't think it, that's necessarily the case because a company can think, well, this is our moment. So let's just talk about ourselves. But really, a company is only successful because of its customers. So that was some something that we took into account. And basically, as soon as we got, you know, the final copy of our F1, we had a few iterations of taglines based on that, like, business overview, that, like, very first line. And then we ran it through different people and different marketeers and stakeholders in the company. And we ended up going with work without limits. How did the tagline itself, did it manifest itself into, like, creative executions in or around the IPO itself or leading up to it or, or post? So Work Without Limits was all over Times Square. We also had a building out in California, I think like the largest billboard in the U.S. we took out and we had build scale Work Without Limits to kind of tell that narrative of like build is like either you're starting out on Monday or you're starting out your company can build out your processes. Scale is that we grow with you. And then work without limits is the use cases are never ending and there's never ending possibilities of what you can build and how you can use it. But with our constant like updating and adding integrations and automations and new features, there's really like the sky's the limit of like what you can do. And we also had ads that ran printed ads in the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal. And we use work without limits also on our website. That's like the, the current headline. So we kind of, we made it a 360 campaign. So we also ran YouTube ads. We really took advantage of the moment because why not? It's a great way for people to, to see us and learn about us and really understand like what our vision is and, and just growing up from that perspective of project management tool to like work operating system, like this is the future of work. And we don't want to make it too daunting. We don't want to say this is the future of work. We want to make it something that's digestible. So that's where we got the tagline and we kind of just ran with it. It's a great example. And like you like you said, and I've struggled, there's no really great examples out in the world of how to do this. But man, I mean, it, most companies never go public. And those that do, it is a huge event to leverage and, and capitalize on if, if, it, if it makes sense. Yeah, like I said, it's it's a fine line of like, you know, acknowledging how you got there. So with the customers and we tried to, you know, keep them involved, like they got, they got a notification to watch the, the ringing of the bell. There was always a balance and every company has to decide for themselves, like how much they want to focus on it. On the other hand, it's also like a very delicate process because when companies IPO, they're usually large and there's people that have been there from the very beginning 
that want to give their input on it. So, you know, we have people that have been working at Monday.com, you know, since the inception still here. And so there's, there's a lot of feedback and there's a lot of iterations and conversations in a whirlwind of like, you know, sometimes the marketing of the IPO. I think that's the real reason there's not a lot of marketing information out there is because it gets overlooked. Like by the time all the financials are in place and the legal and PR and prepping for, for calls with investors, like, like, Oh, there's the marketing. Oh wait, like we only have a few weeks to do it. It's just more, more of a rush. So I think my advice for companies that are planning on going public is to start thinking about the message to the public earlier on, just so that you can seize the moment properly versus it being an afterthought. When we last spoke, you mentioned this notion, which I'm sure many people think of and think about. I've even had this experience myself, but you mentioned suffering from what you call imposter syndrome. Tell me about that. One, how do you describe imposter syndrome? And, And then tell me, Tell me what that means to you. So for me, imposter syndrome is just really linked to perfectionism and the need to be perfect. And if you're not perfect, there's all these reasons why you're not perfect. And that kind of gets in the way of how of your self-esteem and how you think about yourself. And also from a critic standpoint, you know, how you think about the strength of your ideas. And I have to own my success. I've worked really hard and I've had amazing opportunities. But like in my head, like I blame a lot of the success that I've had in my career on luck. Like I'm lucky to be here. I It was lucky that, you know, I found Monday.com when it was small. If I applied now, I don't think I would get hired. I was in the right place at the right time. It's just all about making excuses about what you're doing. And it's something that I know tons of people have been talking about. And I think since the beginning of COVID, mental health has taken like more of a center stage in in terms of like talking about it in public, especially like at work. So, so there's been a lot more discussions about it, which is good, but it still definitely exists. And the discussions don't help it. Don't help it to go away. Do you deal with it any, any specific way? Like how do you process it yourself when, when you start feeling that way or having those thoughts come, come to mind? I've taken an active role in combating the imposter syndrome thoughts I know that if I don't take an active role, then they'll always be there. And I don't want that to be in the back of my head. So I kind of like attack it in two different parts. The first is being grateful. So it's kind of like taking these negative things of like, oh, I'm lucky to, I am grateful. So I'm grateful that my first boss role recognized my, my potential and my talent when I applied versus being lucky. I'm grateful that I had opportunities to further my education. I'm grateful for the opportunities that that led me to where I am today. So that's the first step. And the second is to have self-compassion, self-love. And it's different than being a narcissist. It's just about being nicer to yourself. I will get imposter syndrome thoughts. I can't just like stop my brain from thinking them, but I can just like acknowledge that they exist, maybe try to figure out what's causing it. And then like, accepting it and moving on. Like a lot of times when we have like imposter syndrome thoughts or like negative thoughts, we just like harp on it over and over. And then we get mad at ourselves for even having those thoughts, but that's just the human experience. So it's like, okay, I have these thoughts. This might be why let's move on and being nicer to ourselves. I think that's the biggest part. It sounds like a, almost like a meditation technique, uh, the way you describe it. Which I definitely do recommend 
Um, there are some great self-compassion meditations. And again, they're not like love yourself. It's just like positive affirmations. And and they they are helpful. I was very, very against them for a very long time. And then I was like, you know what? I'll try it. And they help. And they also help me fall asleep, which is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I just think people think like, oh, one day imposter syndrome will go away. And it's just, I don't think it ever will. You just have to live with it. Yeah. And deal with it. <laughs> yeah. And that's fine. Thank you for sharing. My pleasure. I hope it helps someone. I think it will. I mean, because I think it's the human experience to to have those thoughts. And I thank you for sharing how you've, how you've learned to deal with it. One of the things we like to do is to get to know the person even more. One of my favorite questions to ask people is, has there been an experience of your past that defines or makes up who you are today? Yeah, I think it definitely relates back to, to my little anecdote there. I think just being a workaholic defines me, but it's being a workaholic and loving what you do. I think that's like the distinction that I want to make. I don't think there's anything wrong about working hard or spending a lot of time in work if it's something that you love or that you're passionate about. I tend to agree with you and I'll double down on it because people people talk about balance in work and life and I honestly think that's just bullshit. Like Well, it, yeah, especially yeah. now. There's no <laughs> yeah. there's no such thing like when I'm when I'm home it's like, well, my computer's right there. Won't hurt if I like do some more research. For me, it's, I've always described it as it's not about balance, it's about integration. And the better integrated I feel, the happier I am at the things I'm doing from a personal side and the happier I am at the things I'm doing from a work side. And the balance piece is just a falsehood. You <laughs> yeah, know, like it, it's I, never going to be 50-50. And I don't think it, I don't think it necessarily should be. And then, you know, as, as you advance in your career and your life's timeline, you can, you can adjust that percentage. You can change that integration. Yes, exactly. Well, uh, would there be any advice you'd give your younger self once you're starting this all over again? I would tell little Molly, don't give up on hobbies because you're not perfect. Enjoy it. That's a perfectionist in me ever since I was a kid. I was like, in softball, I was like, well, I can't score a home run, so I quit. Like, I wish, I wish I just enjoyed where I was at that moment. Do you feel like there's any topics that marketers need to learn more about or that you're trying to learn more about yourself? I think partnerships are a topic that marketers need to learn more about and spend more time implementing and really developing. I think in general, as human beings, we're better together. And so when companies or brands can combine, they can create stories from new angles and create new value that they didn't have on their own. And you can get really cool crossovers. You can get cool stories like one of my favorite ice cream brands in the world, Van Leeuwen. They just partnered with Kraft and they have a mac and cheese flavor ice cream, uh, which I would love to try. And again, not that that's groundbreaking in terms of a cause, but it's just an example of like really cool branding that you can do that will start making people think about mac and cheese more, have more like brand affinity. I like that idea a lot. And it's not something that comes up on the show a whole lot either. But to your point, it's a great opportunity to do one plus one equals more than two, you know? Because you also get, aside from new value, you get way more exposure. You get both audiences. 
Exactly. So it is a great accelerator from that standpoint. So think that's awesome. Are there brands or companies or causes that you follow or you think other people should be taking notice of? So in general, as far as causes go, I just shopping small is huge. It's about supporting other businesses and entrepreneurs. And when you shop small, you get a lot out of it. Not only do you get the product or whatever you purchase, but you develop relationships, you develop care for the people running the business. Uh, Many times you get higher quality products, better experiences, you get memories, there's stories behind the objects. Of course, shopping small is not always the most affordable option. So I think it's just a matter of doing what you can. Or even if you can't afford to shop small, engaging more with those smaller businesses online will give them a huge push and be able to, to grow. And then as far as brands and companies, there's a few that come to mind. I love Everlane the clothing apparel company, they have, you know, transparency in their pricing and their factory. So you can see how much it costs to produce any item and what their markup is. And I think even though, you know, whoever looks at it, they're like, wow, that's a big markup. At least there's, there's some sort of trust being built or education in the clothing world and gets you to think about it a bit more. I also love Bumble. I think they just have very honest eye level branding. They also are really great at choosing celebrities to work with and everything that they do and advertise provides value, but also follows their mission of just connecting people. So I know that they just created a cafe, a Bumble Cafe in New York for having, you know, meeting Bumble BFF or Bumble Biz connections there. And lastly, Slack. If you use Slack and you look at their app updates, like the when it tells you about like what they fixed or what they added, whoever writes those app updates needs a raise. It's amazing. <laughs> I'll have to check those out. I don't Do know. You, ha- you have to check it out. They're little Easter eggs. And it's, I think it's like that attention to detail of a brand just, you know, really shows that it's going in a good direction. I love that. I will definitely have to check that out. Last question for you. What do you feel like is the either largest opportunity or biggest threat that marketers face today? So I think the biggest threat is just ad exhaustion in general. Slowly, slowly over the years, uh, social media platforms have just been adding more ads to every scroll. So like if you're on Facebook, every three ads, same with Instagram, every three ads, there's a sponsored post. And it's just so much and it's getting very intrusive. And I think it's only a very short matter of time until we until it's equivalented to, to email spam. I think it's just like enough is enough or maybe there'll be like Facebook premium where you don't get any ads because I think it'll discourage people from using these platforms. I think there will be a threshold that will be met very soon. Hi, it's Alan again. Marketing Today was created and produced by me with support from my team and podcast editors, sound engineers, and writers at Share Your Genius. Find them at shareyourgenius.com. If you're new to marketing today, please feel free to write us a review on iTunes or your favorite listening platform. Don't forget to subscribe on marketingtodaypodcast.com and tell your friends and colleagues about the show. I love to hear from listeners. You can contact me on marketingtodaypodcast.com. There you will also find complete show notes, links to what was discussed in the episode today, and you can search our archives. I'm Alan Hart, and this is Marketing Today.